in terms of the podcast, that's been like the one of the greatest parts is being contacted by people who are like, I live in, you know, LA. Like I've never even been to Sacramento. Right. But I care about whatever. Like this is my issue. This is my thing. And like, thank you because like I never would have accessed this information. Right. You know, which is in the end, like Yes, it, it was and it is obviously a self-interest on my part in terms of getting my name out there and, and just being available, right? But it also predominantly, and I, I'm not even, I think I'm being really genuine when I say the actual real heart of it also, though, is the notion of giving back. Hello and welcome again to another episode of Sacktown Talks. Today we're joined again by Christina Boss Hamilton. Christina, thanks for joining us again. How's it going? It's good, Jared. How's it going? It's great. It's good to see you in person. You know, last year we did this via Zoom. That's right. And now here we are a year later in person. So it's, right. it's good to, to see you. I've actually seen you uh, on the streets and I went, oh my gosh, there's Christina <laughs> Boss Hamilton. Look at there. Oh, I'm being I recognized. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm getting distracted looking at the camera. <laughs> no, I love it, Jared, because I, I have like this whole community of people I uh, only know digitally right. <laughs> and so when it happens in real life it's like oh you know you look kind of different right. <laughs> sorry I didn't recognize yeah it's like kind of awkward like I know you I know of you but I don't really know you so totally right. I mean Twitter is so hysterical because I'm like I feel like I know everything about you but in right. real life like yeah it's different it was really funny and, and something we you know, I want to talk to you about maybe we can just get right into it I was in uh you know end of session uh, typically when we we see a lot of us, especially now, because yes. uh, everything's digital or remote, yes. you know, swing space, capital. Right, so right. no one's really centrally located anymore. And I ran into to Kip Mueller, uh, who uh, came on the show earlier. And he's like, oh, my gosh, Jared, how good to meet you. And oh, we had nice. this kind of exchange. Nice. And then he was talking about this bill he was working on. Yeah. Was it SB uh, 1149? Yeah. And something he wanted me to ask you about is kind of about SB 1149, some of the work you guys had done on that. Yes. And, you know, I guess what's next? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, to give you just a snapshot on where we were, what happened, I guess. Um, yeah. So SB 1149 was um, Senator Connie Leva and it was the Public Right to Know Act. Very simple concept, which is um banning secrecy agreements and secret settlements that prevent the disclosure of information to the public about defective products or environmental hazards. So, that, I mean, in in its essence, right. like how I talked about it was, you know, this is kind of like weird that it's not already the law. Mm -hmm. Like if a product is defective, it shouldn't be on the market any longer. Right. But that's not the case because if you are hurt by the product and you sue the manufacturer, you know, nine times out of 10, you're going to be covered by the secrecy agreements. So nobody knows about what happened to you besides, you know, your attorney, you, their attorney, them and the judge. And so, you know, what we were trying to do was ban those agreements. And it was, I should say in concept, it was a very simple idea. And it's like, when you explain it that way, it's kind of like, how is this not already the right. law? But then when you get into the nitty gritty of it, it, it was very technical, like, you know, you're a lawyer it involved, like all of this just legalistic stuff. And, you know, it was really hard lobbying because it was about explaining all the language. Right. And so the opposition was corporate America, um, a.k.a. the Chamber of Commerce and CJAC, and basically because this disrupts their status quo, which is very profitable for them, which is, you know, we want the ability to pay settlements and we don't want to have to have this information disclosed to the public, which then means it's more likely we'll recall the product, we'll get bad press, mm -hmm. all of the, that consequence. And so um, we had a lot of disinformation about the bill and, you know, it was hard lobbying because it was a lot of education around what it actually did and what the opposition said it did, which right. wasn't really true. And like just having to like, oh, my God, that it was a lot of work. And but, you know, the good news is and I take this as a win. Right. And I feel like this is really important in our world is to understand that like stuff takes time. Mm -hmm. Right. And just because a bill fails doesn't mean it's the end of the world and you're right. like never going to it's never going to happen. Right. But this bill literally has been attempted 
This was the fifth try over 20 years trying to pass oh, wow. this. It literally dates back to Bill Lockyer when he was in the Senate, I believe, introduced okay. this bill. So it's been killed every time, but it never made it out of the first house. This year, um, we were able to get it to the final vote in the second house in the assembly, and we were nine votes shy of sending it to the governor. So, you know, the the way I like to look at it is we took it farther than it ever right. had before. And you know what I love, like hearing the stories about these kind of close votes is there's always like these kind of members are like, oh, I'll vote for it if so-and-so votes oh, for it. Yes. Or they all want to be like the 41st vote. Yes. They always want to be the last vote. Yeah. Can you talk about that? Like how many votes did you have if other people would have gone up to? Were you ever in those discussions about yeah. like how close you could have been? Yeah, it, it, it was definitely um, a situation of people looking to see where other people right. were at. And if you could just generate enough momentum, yeah. it would like break the dam would open right. and you would get all these other people on board which was very frustrating because you're like, you know, okay, they're there, but they're looking at you and they're waiting for you and you're there, but you're looking at them. So it's like self-perpetuating, right? right? Like if, you know, someone has to take the vote that that is like opening the door for these other folks. It was very frustrating conversation. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, you're putting cards in and talking to a member then the opposition seat is like right next to yeah, you. Right. Oh yeah. Gate lobbying is, a, is so funny. It's I actually, um, this year was my first time that I was like kind of having fun with it. Mm -hmm. It's usually the most stressful part right. of lobbying, right? Like you're just standing there and you're sweating bullets and, and you're like, this is why they caught lobbying. This is, yeah. this is when we all We're earn our paycheck. Like, this is when we earn our paycheck. Yeah. Well, I should say, I earn my paycheck every day. But yes, this is when we all learn earn our paychecks because it is the hardest part of it. But um, yeah, so at the gate, literally with the opposition standing right next to you and making the case. And then how do you do that when you literally have 30 seconds? Mm -hmm. Like I, I was never an active like proponent of bill limits. But after this year, I'm like, there has to be a limit because you are basically trying to explain this complicated thing in like 15 seconds. Right. And how do you do that? Right. So then it's a question of like explaining complex policy, trying to create like your elevator pitch that like simplifies it. But some things are impossible to make simple. Mm -hmm. And then you're basically up against like he said, she said, because like they're saying the opposite. So what do you, I guess, right. put more stock in? Right. Yeah. Um. It was hard. It was, it, I'll, I'll be super honest, like the, the loss was brutal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess that's kind of interesting is, is kind of, you know, there's the defeat. It's end of the year. Some people are happy. Some people are, are bitter. Yeah. And, you know, there's like a real, like, you know, a lot of us know each other. A lot of us are our friends. But yeah. then when you're in the, the battle, that's kind of what I love is, is you're up there, you have opponents and you're not talking to each other. Like, <laughs> You're kind of mad at the other side, right? Like, <laughs> right. and yeah, it takes a little time to get over it, it and then does, to yeah. kind of you know get into the frame of okay, next year, uh, you know, what are we going to do different? Yeah, how do you know as you kind of say, kind of plot it along because right. there's so many things you know we've all seen that you know seems crazy at first, doesn't get out of committee, doesn't yeah. get a vote, yeah, uh, really hard to get into print, yeah, but becomes law and signed by the governor over you know. a couple of years, right? Yeah, no, you're totally right. I think that's called the Overton window, right? Yeah. No, it's true. And so, you know, I had to recoup for a couple of weeks there, mm -hmm. lick my wounds. Right. But, you know, I'm proud of the work we did on the bill. You know, corporate America was very threatened by it. And I know I was facing a lot more lobbyists mm -hmm. in opposition. Right. And so it's good to know you can hold your own. Exactly. You know? no, no. So, yeah. Getting close, nine votes. Yeah. And that's kind of kind of interesting. I guess kind of talk a little bit about you and your practice. Uh, so kind of what, you know, I, I know we talked last year and, you know, you were just kind of jumping into this after yes. uh, years in kind of the union world. Kind right, of. Right. So what what, you know, is your business looking like now that you've had it up for a couple of years now and right. kind of what kind of are the things you're working on? That, thanks. That's a great question. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, I'm I'm like super transparent. You know, I came out of the labor world and I threw my hat in the ring, decided to hang up my shingle. So that was January of 2021. It's been a wild ride. Mm -hmm. um, freelance work is no joke, right? You know, you have to always be plotting months ahead in terms of, you know, clients and 
how am I going to, you know, get paid and all that type of thing. But I've kind of embraced it as just like another form of organizing in a weird way. Like I'm just organizing on my own behalf. I'm advocating for myself instead of for other people. Right. But it's been um, overall great. Like, so I do a lot broader work than I did before. So when I was at UDW, I was super like focused on human services, in-home support services. You know, that that was the world I knew. Then it expanded to childcare um, a little bit. But now I'm doing work for clients on um, guaranteed income proposals, uh, tax credits for low-income people. I did this bill, which was a consumer protection bill. Um, I did work for um, adult day health uh, care providers, which is similar to the work I was doing before. So, yeah, it's been great. Like, I, I just use the sort of judgment call of, you know, do I believe in what these groups are doing? Do I need to be the expert? No. You know, they're mm -hmm. the policy experts. Right. And what they need help with is the process. And, you know, like any lobbyist, that's generally why you're brought on. Right. Um, it's been hard, though, because I, I don't like not knowing everything, like not being the policy expert, too. Because, <laughs> you know, when you know the answers and you're not like having to like be like, I'll get back right. to you on that. Yeah. It's um, it feels better. But yeah, whatever. I, I've it's been a blast. I am not like regretting anything. So you're not, you know, you came out of the labor world, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, most people, when they hang up their shingle, they have like, they bring a client or they have something right. in, in fold. Right. Did you have that experience or are you doing anything labor wise? Yeah. So, um, I did work with UDW for a couple months. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think, you know, the understanding was, it was a transition period. Right. Uh, right now I am doing consulting for some behind a couple of labor unions behind the scenes and, but not like direct lobbying. And yeah, I'd love to get back into the actual um, representing, you know, lobbying for a, a labor org. But, you know, I like being adjacent to it, too. Right. You know, uh, you have your own podcast, right? We've talked about it last year. Uh, I know a lot of our listeners listen as well. Um, and you talk a lot about kind of, of the kind of nuts and bolts of mm -hmm. like how to do things and especially kind of in the budget world yeah. and, and kind of in this kind of other world, which, you know, isn't really considered lobbying, but it's kind of dealing with the agencies yeah. and, um, you know, getting things, you know, through the agency. Regulatory lobbying. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Kind of what, what are you working on there and kind of what's your kind of experience this year with this budget, you know, having this huge budget, you know, we had Nancy Skinner on talking about, you know, the billions of dollars yes. uh, in yes. surplus. Uh, yes. So I guess, you know, in your experience, you know, how was it lobbying this year for the budget and compared to others? And, you know, yeah. did that surplus work out for you? Yes. Well, I so I'm proud to say that I was able to get um, the adult day health centers. I worked with them on their effort to get um, funding for a grant program. Mm -hmm. So we were successful with that. And I can tell you very, you know, confidently having lobbied during the recession, having lobbied for budget dollars, that this is definitely has been a very different. The last couple of years have been a very different experience. Not that it's easy. It's never easy to convince the Department of Finance. Right. And I don't know that you ever convinced them, by the way. <laughs> They're just told they have to agree with it. Right. Or they have to, like, go along with it, I guess. Um, it's never easy to convince the administration to spend money. It's just significantly harder when there is arguably le no or less money, mm -hmm. right? Um, so, you know, a lot of organizations like the ones that I've worked with have like looked at this as like now is the time for us to get back to whole, right? Like a lot of them haven't been restored from the cuts that were made oh, during wow. the recession. Right. Yeah. I mean, sadly, when it comes to but bad budget times, programs that serve poor people are usually at the front right. of getting cut. And there are a number of programs that never got their money back to where it was in 2010. Never mind inflation and like, you know, calculating that into it. So, yeah, I mean, I think over the last couple of years, folks have thought like this is our there's no excuse now. You can't say you don't have money. Mm -hmm. um, does it make it an easy argument? No, because you're still always going to get the well, you know, fiscal uncertainty and we might be having a recession right. next year. Like you're just always going to hear that. I think you just have a better chance to say, you know, that's bullshit now, right? Versus right. In, when it, it might actually be legit. But now I think next year we'll start getting more of the tight fistedness again. Yeah, we're kind of always hearing like, oh, the revenues were down a little bit from 
from projected. Oh, that's like all that. you need. Yeah. That's all you need is the revenues are down and all of a sudden, you know, heads start shaking and, you know, we're, we're not agreeing. I mean, even this year, there was basically, because of the GAN limit and the complications around um, not going over it, and so spending had to be very targeted and had to fall under these, like, exempt categories. Right. Um, it really was, like, all about one-time spending. And so, which is great, but, you know, ongoing is the challenge. Like, on, right. ongoing new, new funding is a big freaking deal and will always be probably. Right. Yeah. So yeah, kind of when you get the one-time spending, you get your foot in the door, right? Yeah, yeah. And now you got to keep it there, just keep yeah. opening it a little bit. Yeah, uh, and finance knows that too. They'll even write it into their like rejection uh, <laughs> opposition letters. They'll be like, it puts future pressure on the general fund. Right, right. I just love watching those budget hearings. You're right, the finance guy who sits there, just kind of like just like curmudgeon. throws water <laughs> on everything. Just like frown on his face. You yeah. know, and like addressing like these sincere, serious human you know consequences with like well our finances just don't allow and i mean and i say that like with with respect because they're playing a position that they you know that's that's the role they play and like they're not authorized to say anything other than that that's got to be really hard to sit in some of those hearings and just keep repeating you know it's not budgeted in the out years so we are not going to do that but that's the that's the job of the budget lobbyist right like i realized when I went into private practice was like, oh, wow, you know, a lot of people out here are lobbying and they don't do budget. Yeah. It's like a big mystery. Nobody, no, yeah. unless you're like really keen on the budget, you don't, you don't know. And I right. didn't never realized right. it because I grew, I was going to say I grew up, but I guess I grew up. Right. My, I learned how to lobby doing budget lobbying. Mm. I didn't even realize there was a distinction because, you know, in, in the program, that I represented everything, money or not money, like policy was done through the budget. So it's funny because then I realized really quickly, like, oh, I guess that's like my selling point. Right. You know, like not all lobbying is the same. Not even members know how the budget works. Oh, that blows me out of the water. And, And when you start seeing members strategically avoiding the budget, we're like introducing bills that have funding mm-hmm. or, or will need funding and not asking for money in the budget. Right. Where I'm like, why are you doing that? Like you're setting this bill up to be vetoed. Right. I mean, how many veto messages are out there where the governor says this was not allocated in the budget? Right. Or yeah. just getting killed in appropriations. Right? Yeah, yeah. Like so it. it yes, I n- never grasped how formidable and intimidating the budget process is. So much so that people avoid it to their detriment. Right. Yeah. And it, it's interesting. It's kind of like, you know, as you see on Twitter and you've done on your show, like if you want to get in the budget, like you you already need to be talking about it. Yes. And right like now. this is this is the time where right. people in finance actually have time to talk to you. Yes. Right. Yes. And, and they're putting it together. Right? right. Like they're looking at all of the ideas and yeah i mean get in the january budget if you can i mean i'm not saying that's easy either believe me no none of this is easy right um but if you can as an advocate man you just saved yourself so much work because the legislature is pretty much going to go with what the i mean i i take that back there's some areas where they'll reject it for the most part they accept most of what the governor proposes so like that, this is the sweet spot now. And, and most advocates don't know that. That's crazy. Yeah. 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 yeah Cause a lot of us are taking downtime right now or, you yeah, know, yeah. people are, you know, have yeah. the holidays and things like that. And this is like actually when department of finance is just like crunching the most from, yeah. from and, year oh, to and, end of year. and listening to concepts. Right. right. Totally. Although I, and, and I say this on my show, like, you know, they also don't ever give you feedback. Aside from a polite thank you, so so there's that reality too. Like, you know, dealing with the administration is generally a one-way, right? You know, communications, but it doesn't mean they're not listening to you, right? And And, then you open that, you know, January budget like a like a Christmas present, huh? Yeah, absolutely. What's in here? Same with the May revise, but definitely with January. Yeah, I mean, and they're really tight-lipped. Like, I have to say, in the twelve years I've been doing this, I think. There was one year where it was like leaked. It was like one of the brown budgets where somehow it was leaked like days before it was supposed to be released. Right. And so they had to move up 
the um, budget release date because someone had someone had sent it to the press. <laughs> Aside from that, though, like, man, you don't know what's going to go on. Right. It is very like people are. Yeah, unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. It's it's it, I mean, budget is its own crazy world. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, it, it's at a certain time of year. Yep. And then, like even like this year, it just spanned the whole session, you know. Well, OK, so that's new. That didn't used to be. Right. And, you know, for folks who are been doing it for a while under the brown years, like that was wrapped up by June 15th. Like, well, especially after Prop 25 that created the June 15th right. deadline. It was done. Like you had your trailer bills were done. They voted that, you know, up until the 15th on pretty much like 95% of the budget. Mm -hmm. That started changing in the last couple of years. And it's, I'm not going to like speculate on what went on in that thinking. I'll tell you, it makes it a hard, much harder. Oh my God. So much harder as the advocate, because you're like, is this still open? Is it closed? Are we talking again in August? You know, staff will kind of tell you, like, listen, if this concept didn't get approved, it's like, you know, you're almost definitely not going to get some new concept later in the summer. Right. But if it's like conceptually you're there, but the details haven't been worked out, then you, you're still working through the summer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. It's very interesting. It's changed the, pro and it changes, the process changes year to year. Right. Yeah. So like basically, you know, they're already working on the budget for next year. Um, if you're not in there talking to finance yet, you need to be kind of, what's the best way to talk to kind of the governor's office in finance to kind of present your proposal and your ideas for next year's budget? Yeah, um, I basically look at it as you're selling a product. Mm -hmm. So what I would advise people is like, get your best research, get your data. Like this is when those white papers come into effect, right? right. You want to show, you want to request time. So you, you'd want to meet with the governor's office. You also want to meet with the department or the agency, you know, that your, your idea right. falls under. And then I would say finance is almost like part of that. Governor's office is probably the most important. Um, Actually, it is the most important, but, you know, it is like, hey, you know, we're I'm pitching this idea and I'm really going to show you and try to convince you why this is smart. Right? right. And what I try to point to is this will save money in the long term. Right. This return this, on investment. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Everything has to be a form of why should the state invest in it? Well, in the end, it, it saves money in the out years or whatever. And I'll be honest with you, even arguments like that. Don't generally always yeah. make the case. Right. Um, yeah. And then, you know, and, and keeping in mind that they're not going to be like, yeah, I love this idea. Like no one's ever going to say that. Why did we think about this Why before? don't we do, you know, I really wanted this to happen. Like right. the, no one on the, in the administration is ever going to say that, but can you like spark interest and curiosity? And yeah, a hundred percent, especially if the governor's already aligned in that direction. Right. Right. Like. The trick to me from the outside is keeping track of what the governor's talking about. So if he's going in a direction where you're like a natural extension of that, like mm -hmm. you've got an opening that's awesome, right? I would be like, governor last week talked about wanting to do X, Y, and Z. This is going to help him get there. Right. Yeah. And it's kind of like, the, it's interesting. You, you, know, you mentioned the agency, right? And so sometimes what you want to do, the agency doesn't want to do. <laughs> and so can you kind of talk about your experience there and maybe some success you've had kind yeah. of working on something where the agency is kind of yeah. working against you? Yeah. I mean, it's like all lobbying, right? You want to build relationships so that you can actually have those kind of honest con conversations. Right. And, and, and I should say it like, yes, when it comes to like what they will officially tell you, it will never be like, yes, no, right. or whatever. But when you've built relationships, you can also have a little bit more candid conversation where you can hear more like robust, like here's, well, here's, here's implementation issues, right? Or we tried this and, you know, frankly, it, it never worked in the past. We just don't see the value of trying to do this again or whatever. And it's hard if, if agency and departments aren't on board with what you're trying to do, you're in not a good spot. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because well, yeah, it's like a different, like different politics, right? So sometimes like it's, what yeah, you might want to do might yeah. save the state money, might yeah. be a good return on investment, yeah. but the agency might lose some positions. 
and you know, or they're or overworked and they're right. like, I don't want to take on a new. Exactly. Absolutely. That's huge. And I'll be honest with you. I can't think right now off the top of my head of a case where that was happening and like we got past it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess you, you get past it because in the end, it's the governor who decides. Right. right? But, you know, you you are always wanting them at least to be neutral on what you're trying to do. Right. You know, but but like the implementation, like that's the that's the real devil in the details, because what good is, you know, winning something that never actually gets implemented? Because guess what? They don't have enough staff to do it. Right. And that happens all the time. Like, so I think that's the other sort of part that is like less known about advocacy. Yeah. Is like then there's the other side of actually like, you know, yeah, you passed it. And now is the work of actually seeing it come to pass. Right. 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 Yeah, I remember working on some issues and and the bill being passed and signed into law and the, the client's kind of disappointed. And it's just kind of like, well, it's got to be funded. Yeah. And kind of what they've planned is kind of a lot yeah. and kind of yeah. impossible to fund. So it's kind of more, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, no, it's symbolic true. legislation than anything and else. And that's yeah. a big, uh, you know, and, and that's a big, that's why budget wins are so big. Mm-hmm. You know, like hats off to to the advocates, the lobbyists who are able to make that happen. Yeah. You know, it's an interesting thing kind of at the end of session, you know, we, we got this kind of, um, you know, staff unionization mm. uh, kind of talking about something that's been talked about for a long time. It's kind of plotted along. Right. I guess this is the first time that it actually, you know, got a floor vote, got right. out of committee, right. got moving. And it looked like a foregone conclusion at, at one point. And then all of a sudden, oh, you know, I, ne- it, I never thought of it. Really? Never. I was like, wow, this thing has so much momentum and is rolling well, so I much. I mean, compared to where it was right. in the past. No, you're totally. But listen, to me, I'm like, it's the second house where this bill is going to die. Right. N- not that I wanted it at all to die. And mm-hmm. and and I'm saying it in a cynical way, but like the challenge was going to be the, the assembly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Just kind of given your like union background, kind of what. What are your some of your thoughts on the kind of the staff unionization issues and kind of where do you see it going next? Listen, I support it 100 percent. I think every employee should have the right to decide if they want to join together to bargain collectively. Right. Like I fundamentally believe that. And I, I think what the staff are doing and listen, that takes a lot of courage to go out there and put yourself out there. Like, I mean, in any industry, but especially in one like this, that's so like. You know, it's like a big family where everybody knows what everyone right. else is doing. The staff who put themselves out there, like, deserve a lot of respect. And it stinks that it has not had its real, I, I guess, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, time for public, time for debate, right? Like, it didn't it didn't even get to the second house mm-hmm. this year. So, it, it, like, I feel you know, just solidarity with them. And I also feel like that frustration of like, this is hard, right? Because you're now, you're you're essentially like, whenever it comes to the internal, it's right. way different than when it's like telling other people what to do, you know? And and it's the, just the truth of it. Like, why is it good for, you know, why is unionization good policy for other people, but not for yourself? Yeah, like one, one argument I was hearing is like, oh, well, it creates a conflict of interest, right? Because then, the staff can create this union and have a political action committee, and then they can actually like fund campaigns against, I guess, members they work for. And I was I was talking to my wife, who's a, a state attorney, about this, and she's like, "That's no different than any other state employee union. Yeah, like yeah, we, yeah. you know, are in yeah. the governor's race or the attorney general's race, like you know." Well, because it's defending your interests. I mean, right. if if you think about it, I would go broader. I would say that's how society is organized. Period. Right. Right. It's just you know, forces band together to protect their interests all the time. Um, Generally, those are like the more, you know, industry businesses, you know, they're all organized into trade groups. So this notion that like, why would, like that would be a bad thing. It it would only be bad in that it makes them more powerful to represent their interests. And like, why not? Like they, I don't know. This notion that like when you're staff, you just have to accept Right. Like you just work these long hours, you get paid like not a lot of money and you're just supposed to like accept it. Right. Like buck up, you know, like I, I'm I just I think that kind of mentality is terrible. I actually think it perpetuates inequality, too, because how do you raise a family on money? That's like terrible. Right. You know what that means is you're opening a door. 
in the end of the day, for people who can withstand not making a lot of money right. for a longer period of time. Basically, yeah, you're giving you're giving entry or entree to people who have families who will support them or yep. pri- some sort of privilege yep. to do that. Yep. And that's a lot you're saying is like, oh, if you want to make it in this world, you just got to, you know, volunteer or I mean, uh, internships, work for free, work very poorly is, for years I, and then you'll be on, on the road. I worked on right. the internship, uh, unpaid internship bill this year, too, which also didn't um didn't make it but same concept like if you're saying you have to work for free who has the luxury of that right generally people who are supported by parents that have money to let them do those things right so then what does it mean who's represented in terms of public uh servants who then become public policymakers right right? it's the same system it just keeps going on and on like I, i i think that this is how it's perpetuated and this is how we can change it even if it's uncomfortable. Yeah. Right. It's kind of interesting. It Maybe it's always been this way, but it seems like the staff is, is younger and we're seeing higher turnover. Oh, more than ever in the past. Right. And yeah. I think there's so much like j- opportunity out there in the job market yeah. or just like not like people are freelancing at home, just doing like, like I have a nephew who just plays video games on Twitch and he makes Isn't more money crazy? than you make in the capital. Well, no, I mean, <laughs> it, it, it's the great resignation, yeah. right? Like, People are able to make money in so many more ways than was right. possible before. And, you know, and, and here's the other thing. Like there is, I think it's Prop 140, the one that caps how much the legislature can spend on itself. Right. You know, there's there are real tangible reasons why it's not as simple as let's give everybody a raise. Right. right. Like I also want to acknowledge that it's not for lack of wanting uh, for a, a lot of this. Yeah. You know, people want to pay their staff more. Um. So it is a challenge, and but I think there's ways, you know, you, you kind of go at it maybe from a system, systemic sort of level to addressing that. But I think what you're saying is 100%, like there's now more options to go do something somewhere else. Yeah. And so you see that in terms of this turnover. Kind of just stepped over my next question, oh, but, shoot. you know, okay. we'll do it anyways. <laughs> kind of, I guess, you know, we just kind of touched on the great resignation. Kind of, mm. how do you see that shaping kind of policy going forward in the state? Oh, well, that's huge. You know, we have, what, 30% turnover? I mean, 30%. Yeah, we're just seeing it in the members too, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, I. So that's to me like the most biggest policy impact mm-hmm. is I, I want to say 30% of the legislature will be brand new in January. Yeah. Or some, some very high number. Right. And then in the following cycle, it, it will be like, 70 percent. Mm-hmm. So we're going to see like a brand new legislature within four to six years. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it, it changes everything because this is a whole new crop of folks who may have very different ideas on like what the right way is to go about it. Our job as advocates is to try right. to get the people that we think will be the champions for the policies we want to see. Right. But I think that it's it's like a big question mark right now. Well, I think it's interesting kind of just to marry these two last kind of comments together is so we're seeing a lot of turnover in staff mm-hmm. and we're seeing a lot of turnover mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. members. Yeah. And, you know, what used to keep, you know, we used to we're used to high turnover in members, right, with with six year term limits. Yeah. Uh, but it was always the staff who kind of kept things yes. on the rails or yes. had that, you know, uh, knowledge from Bath. Yes. But we're seeing a lot of staff kind of, right. you know. Uh, retiring, getting a retirement age, that right. kind of old substantive knowledge. So right. I guess that's going to be kind of interesting as as you're seeing this high turnover in staff right. and members, like right. who's going to have that substantive kind of institutional knowledge? Well, so interestingly enough, what I would say is yes, but I feel like the turnover in staff is more in the, the lower level right. staff. So your con- chief consultants for committees, for example, I don't think you're seeing that same turnaround. Um, I think, you know, when it comes to like your chiefs and your directors, like you'll see those same faces. I mean, they might move offices or whatever. I feel like it's the next generation of people who are supposed to be those people next. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. That where it is like crazy. Right. Yeah. Like you can't even keep track. You know, who's, who's. Like that ledge director kind of position. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. And, and, and ledges. And I kind of get it. Like. You know, when you look at a starting salary in Sacramento, which, you know, isn't even the most expensive place to live in the country, like that's very low. Right. How do you and especially if you have a family, how do you do that? You know, 
but again, I don't want to be like, you know, oh, the everything is like terrible. I, I would say like there's very legitimate reasons why there's obstacles to paying staff more. Mm-hmm. Um, it just is something that clearly needs to be addressed. Right. Yeah. You know, a, a lot of, you know, meeting members and, and kind of building relationships in this business is built kind of on your clients and kind of what kind of campaign dollars they can give to help you build those relationships. Kind of what has been your experience kind of in, in, mm. in that area and kind of what do you do if, if you don't have a pack? How, oh, do, you, how do you build relationships that's the if, elephant in if the you room. don't have money? Yeah, yeah that's, that's the question. Yeah, I mean, it's very um, challenging. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I like to think of it as like having juice or not having juice, right? Like there's juice committees, there's juice, right. juice lobbying too, right? And so... How do you make the inroads and get access when you are not representing big ticket Mm -hmm. clients? That's like, to me, though, the people who are able to do it, like those are the best, obvious, right? Like the ones who are actually somebody, uh, a friend told me, you got to get scrappy. You know, when when you're in that (laughs) position, you got to use every tool at your disposal. Right. So the ones who are able to make it happen, oh, I'm like, those are the best lobbyists. Those are the ones that can you even imagine if they actually had, you know, money behind them or whatever, what they could really do. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you've got to leverage every other piece of, uh, every other asset you have Mm -hmm. because assets are different, right? It, It doesn't need to be money. It could be reputation. It could be access to voters. I mean, this is stuff I, I tell um, clients and I, I'm really vocal about on social media is like, if you represent a, a lot of people as a, an organization and you, they trust you, you are influential with them. And that influence is significant. Right. If I'm running for office, right? Like I want to align with you because you are representing a lot of, you know, my potential voters. Right. And it's, it's like starting with like identifying that. Like, okay, so, you know, I'm an organization, you know, I could be local government, I could be a school district, like, I don't have a PAC, that's not what I do. What do I have? What do I bring that somebody else could potentially want? Mm -hmm. And and then working from that. And I think that's that's the answer to the challenge. Is it easy? No. Do most people do it? No. Um, But some have been able to do it, and they've been able to leverage all of these non-tangible things into being pretty dang powerful. Right. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, we were talking about, you know, your, your bill earlier. Um, and it's kind of like, you know, plodding along, but it's also like, how does David beat Goliath? Like we see it happen all the time. And, you know, uh, you know, it's, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's the, yes, yes. I mean, that's it. That's now that's end of session right now. Mm -hmm. Look at the bills that the governor hasn't signed yet. Like, Like that is the battle is occurring. Right. And it's it's like, um, God, putting a campaign together that beats Goliath, that, yes, it's been done, very hard to do, usually takes years. Um, it is it is leveraging to a masterful level everything mm-hmm. that you have, right? So it's a communications program that is amazing, right? right. It's using social media better than anybody else. Mm-hmm. Like the farm workers have a Twitter. Yeah, I was going to talk to you about the farm work. I guess we're kind of seeing it. Not that the farm workers are necessarily dated. You know, they're pretty powerful in their own right. But yeah, we're yes. seeing it right here. But in, in the workers, I would say as it pertains to the workers, they are so David. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, but that's an example. Right. Right. Like their social media presence is has been so good that I think it's opened people's eyes that otherwise would never have known that they were right. there. Right. Like I didn't even remember this bill the year before, like the past five years. Yeah. Like, you know, you're always around, you see them. Yeah. But, you know, this year it seems to be like taking a next level kind of, uh, you know, f- framework to they're where they're vis- really they're front vi- of mind. More, yeah. more visual. They yeah. got President Biden weighing in. They got well, know, all this stuff. It, I mean, so it's all of those things. It's it's pre- using President Biden. Right. right. Like it's whoever you have access to that is willing to speak on your behalf and, mm. you know, and putting mapping all of this out and then constructing it and knitting it all together into a campaign that maybe has a chance to beat Goliath. Right. Right. And, and, and has like that, that, that's the hope of it. Right. It's not like it's never been done. It has been done. Right. Um, I think, you know, from my perspective of like 
having led those campaigns and having been a part of them, like, you know, I also feel that the weight of reality, which is like, it's really hard work. Right. And yet you came from this world, right? Mm-hmm. Organizing, yeah. grassroots, yep. um, kind of what, you know, how, how long does it take to get that going? And like, if you have an issue next year that you want to tee up, that's going to have tons of big opposition from yeah. uh, big, powerful, rich players, kind of what, when uh, we, should you start? What do you got to do? Like, yeah, yeah. You're start, what should you be doing now? You're starting yesterday, mm-hmm. right? And and you're mapping it all out. Who's your who's potentially your ally? Who are your you know who are your solids? Like, where is the legislature on this? What about these incoming members? Mm-hmm. Do what do we know about them? Right. Um. Yeah. I mean, you're starting to lay the landscape out now, and you're starting your conversations now, right? Like, I would be talking with already members and right. I would be introducing this as a concept, you know, because things need to marinate in people's minds. Like you don't want them to only have heard about it the day before the right. vote, right? Or if you're shopping for an author for a bill. Oh, right. hello. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So it, there is the the reality that like ideas, big ideas need to marinate. I mean, look at the, the fast food worker bill. Like that bill was done before. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many times, right? And that had like the full weight of, you know, SEIU, one of the most powerful labor unions in California. And it took time um, because it was up against such strong interest. Um, I should say such strong business interest. So, yeah, I mean, all of this, I would say, is a question of like putting your argument together, making your case and then just talking and spreading this out and then building your allies and and you know, basically approaching it like a long-term campaign, and um, you know, resources collecting your resources to yeah, do that. Yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting to see like all these propositions and kind of you know working on some of those, and it's kind of the same thing, right? You know, coalition building, uh, you know, getting your supporters. Mm-hmm. Uh, you it's know, funny when you up. see businesses trying to do it because right. you know that they're like for the first time now reaching out to stakeholders. Right. And, you know, we're building our coalitions and like. Who are you anyway? Right. You know, I mean, that's that's the value to me of like when you come from the people is you, you're genuine. The people people know when you're in it for the right reasons versus right. trying to orchestrate something. Yeah. Um, you know, I've always like took in taken strength that I was represent representing workers that like, you know, they were the real deal. And so I never felt like I had to construct something that wasn't there. Mm. And for the most part, people resonate when it's genuine. Um, it's just dollars, right? Who has more money to throw around, right. which is really sad. It actually is really depressing if you think about right. it too much. Resources. Resources yep. is what it comes down to. Yeah, I mean, shoot, if homeless people had a pack, I mean, we'd be seeing a lot of different things, right? And it's... um I think that as advocates, our job is to go broader than we have the best policy mm-hmm. to acknowledging the politics and all the other pieces. Because at the end of the day, you could have the best policy in the right. world and it doesn't mean anything. Right. right? There's the reality of that. Yeah. You see uh, great policy fail all the time. All the at time. At the hands of, of politics. And I can't even tell you how many people I've worked with that I've just been like puzzled by that. Like, but but what we're trying to do, like, look, it's it's like here, this is this is why it needs to happen. Right. And trying to explain like that's a piece like there's a, there's like 90 percent of other things that are impacting the, this ability, your ability to be able to move something. And so I, I would say like and this is what I try to talk a lot about on social media is like you have to at least understand the other pieces of those of that puzzle and 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 then to a degree be active in it if you can right right? if you've never done electoral work i maybe you don't even need to have a pack but you start a c4 and just start endorsing candidates right like it's much better that a relationship with a legislator start before they get elected. Right. Everybody knows that. And every member has like coffee in their district, something like that. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And and that's like power you have that you're not using necessarily. Right. Right. So it's it's also a question of like the nature of power and the nature of what people want and what you have and what you want and they have and how you exchange those things. Mm-hmm. Right. So again, like it, it may be something that you're already doing that is not obvious to you, like 
is very meaningful to somebody else. And I, I, you know, so that's, that's a part of it. And the other reality is money, right? And, and maybe there's ways to start and fund packs that are not your traditional ways to do it. I feel like that is starting to get more popular. Like you see these packs just popping up now that are like, you know, interest groups that are, and, and I mean, interest groups, like in a, in a very, like, I should say, like from the perspective of genuine, you know, communities, like, you know, that want to make po positive policy happen, like finally sort of being like, wait a minute, we have to pool our resources right. if we actually really want to do something. And, you know, and this is the elephant in the room, like all of this is wrapped up together. Um, we, we have a hard time, I think, saying it out loud, but like, that's, that's, that's the reality of it. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's probably since the beginning of time, human beings are inherently political people, right. creatures, I should say. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love it though. I love thinking through all that stuff. And, you know, this is what I learned working for labor. Mm -hmm. This is like the models that labor uses to be powerful. They're not rocket science. They can be replicated. And yes, they're not apples and apples because you're not a labor union, but there's parts that make perfect sense that like, let's do that. Right. Yeah. 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 That's interesting. Um, so like when you set, you know, set out and started your own business. First thing you did was, you know, start your own podcast and get on social media, yeah. get on LinkedIn. Yeah. And you've done a great job kind of being out there because the world's changed, right? Mm -hmm. Like, uh, you know, people are are online and mm -hmm. you kind of have to go where, where the people are. Right. Can you kind of talk about, um, you know, how's your, how's your podcast going and how it, it's helped you in, in your business? And Thank you. Yeah. Well, okay. So I think a lot of that was because it was COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, it was automatically obvious to me from the beginning that because, I mean, keep in mind, this is the beginning of 2021. Right. So capital wasn't open. There was like nothing happening in person. So it, it became very obvious to me, like if I was going to build this business, I need to network and put myself out there. Right. People aren't just going to come find me. Right. Like I don't have the luxury of like, you know, everyone's just going to start referring right. business to me. Um, so I was like, okay, so where are people? They're mm -hmm. not here. Right. So I got to find them where they are. And I just had to make a decision that I was going to embrace um, a aggressive social media strategy. And then recognizing, see, I feel like I've got like an, a mini MBA over the last year and a half, just learning how business, like to think about it as a business owner. Then I realized like, there's not a lot in this space. Mm -mm. Like aside yeah. from Sacktown Talks, mm -hmm. like two years ago, right. who who was doing podcasts on anything, right? Yeah, maybe some newspapers or the Cap Weekly maybe. Yeah, yeah. Cap Weekly, that's the only other one I would think yeah. about. Oh, and then we had Scott, right? Scott mm -hmm. did the Nooner, right. which was just like brilliant. And I my heart hurts to this day that we don't have um, Scott anymore. But um, there wasn't a lot in this space to begin with. So then it was also like the opportunity. Right. Like I'm not walking into a crowded field. There is no field. Like this right. is wide open. No one is doing social media. Very few people. Don't get me wrong. I, I'm not going to say I invented anything at all. There are some members that have been on Twitter and have rocked and, and just killed it from the get go. Um, and we know who they are because we're probably all following them. You know, people were there, but it was just not a lot. And so mm -hmm. I felt also the perspective of, well, this is an opportunity, not just to be networking and getting my name out, but to just build something that doesn't exist. Right. And so that prompted me to learn a lot about like, OK, so what makes someone successful on social media or whatever? And, and really grasping that it was not it is not about taking. It's about giving and like. All the things that I know, I assume a lot of people know. The things you know, Jarrett, right. you know, you can start assuming, oh, of course you have to know that because everybody knows that. Right. Well, actually, the truth is 99% of the people don't know that. If, you know, like I was saying to you about gaming, right. you know, there's, there's so much I don't know. But if we're in our bubbles, we start to assume everybody knows these things, right? Right. So I realized, you know, I, I have knowledge that could be valuable to people and i'm going to just start putting it out there and i'm not asking for anything in yeah. return and i think that's kind of the interesting thing is is because sometimes i do this and, and you're like 
okay, like there's a certain group of people who listen to this, maybe around the Capitol or, yeah. or so forth. Yeah. But, you know, you know, just talking with other people, they're like, well, you know, politics is pretty popular. Because uh, I was like, well, you know, if you talk about cars or you talk about uh, finance or Bitcoin, you have tons of followers. People are super interested. Right, right, right. right. right? But politics, like right. no one, especially California politics in right. Sacramento, it's such a niche. Yeah. And they're like, well, there's whole channels dedicated to this, like Fox News, CNN. You know, people talk about it all day. <laughs> totally. It's for some reason, it's like because it's state government, right. it's so like. Like you're saying, like it's this little world of state government. But right. meanwhile, you're like, um, that impacts 40 million people. Right. It's right? the fifth largest economy in the world, right. depending on what day it it's is. Some, actually, one of my um, folks on Twitter was like, you know, bigger government than Canada. Mm-hmm. But we're still this like little insulated, arcane little world. Right. Yeah. So then it was like, of course, people are interested in this. Mm-hmm. They just don't know how to find right. you. Right. And And that's been so in terms of the podcast. That's been like the one of the greatest parts is being contacted by people who are like, I live in, you know, L.A. Mm-hmm. Like, I've never even been to Sacramento, right. but I care about whatever. Like, this is my issue. This is my thing. And like, thank you, because like, I never would have accessed this information. Right. You know, which is in the end, like, yes, it it was and it is obviously a self-interest on my part in terms of getting my name out there and, and just being available. Right. But it also predominantly, and I'm not even, I think I'm being really genuine when I say the actual real heart of it also, though, is the notion of giving back. Mm -hmm. And my own experience of being like, it is not right that because a group doesn't have money to hire a lobbyist, can't pass, you know, legislation or, or doesn't even know how to reach out and make change in their community. Right. Like that is fundamentally flawed. Especially during COVID. You like, I don't know, you'd hear people and they're like, you know, have trouble with the EDD or, uh, you know, their business was closed and they wanted to figure out how to get guidelines right. so they could open. And right. it's just like, right. here's your assembly member. Here's your senator. Contact them. Exactly. They have staff. They exactly. will help you. And it's like not even grasping exactly right. what their government does. Right. And like, that's a problem. Like, that's not just a problem like, oh, you know, that just is terrible. Like, that's a fundamental flaw if we are a democratic society. Mm -hmm. Like, democracies only are as strong as the people participating in them. If people are so ignorant um, or unawares, then then what starts happening is the only people active are the ones who have the resources to be active. So then they start shaping government the way they want it to be. Mm -hmm. And that's not... That's like, that's not democracy anymore, right? right? Yeah. That's like, you know, an oligarchy and we don't want that. So I also feel strongly because like, listen, I bet you there's other lobbyists who've been like, why is she talking about this? Like, this is our secret sauce. Yeah, you know, right. It's our bread and butter. And like, I kind of thought about that and I was like, yeah, but you know, like, n- no, because this, it shouldn't be that you have to pay me $10,000 right. a month to like get me to show you like actually if you do these three things you know this is how you get your voice heard right or whatever right so that like w- was for me i kind of got into this like i just think it's not right and i and i do it because i also think like people should have access to this information mm-hmm. i look at it as dem- democratizing advocacy like it w- common people should be empowered to be advocates for their communities right and not feel so intimidated and overwhelmed and just give up before they even start. No, exactly. And that's what's great about your show is is you really give kind of a nuts and bolts directions on actual like real things, like how to do things. Like yes. How to approach an agency and talk to them about that's right. How budget, do you how do you um find an author? Right. Yeah. Like real again, stuff that you and I are like, well of course everybody knows that. Well, no, actually, the vast majority of California does not know right. that at all. And in fact, doesn't even know who their assembly member is or their senator. And we don't we as a society are hurt when that happens. Right. Like right. if we're like looking at it from very like narrowly, then it could be like, well, great, because I have less people to compete with and I'm going to push my interests and my clients interests. But as a society, we are hurt when 
the majority of people are not participating. No, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Good point. Well, if our, our listeners want to find a little more information about you and your show, how can they find you? Yeah. So the my podcast is Blueprint for California Advocates, and you can find it on any um, p- platform, podcast platform. But um, you can go on my website, too, which is www.kbhadvocacy.com. And you will see the podcast there. Okay. Yeah. And then on Twitter? On Twitter. Yeah. Um, at KB is in boy, AS is in Sam Hamilton, at K Boss Hamilton on Twitter. Yeah. And, you know, actually where you've inspired me the most is uh, kind of TikTok and Instagram. Oh, You know, your yes. reels. I think you're the only one out there with the reels. Yeah, well, TikTok. So um, I take what I do on TikTok and I try to put it into Instagram. But I'm really focusing on TikTok because, again, like nobody's there. No one's there. And I I, at first. And you can dance. So uh, I don't know about that. (laughs) I don't know about that. But like, you know, and and there's some legislators that are on TikTok now. Right. right? Like the ones who fundamentally understand social media, they're there because they recognize that's where people are. So it's almost like. And it's so new, TikTok, that like no one is doing anything in this space. So it's like you could say to yourself, well, people don't talk about that there. And it's like, it's like well, because no one else is doing it yet. Mm-hmm. And you could be the person who's doing it. Right. And like, you know, same with politics, California politics. Like there's not a lot of people talking about California politics right. on TikTok. Is it intimidating? Yes. Did I have moments of like, what the heck am I doing? Right. This is You're so pointing. crazy. You know, like, dun, dun, dun. but then like you kind of get over. I, yeah. I don't know. I try to like not take myself too seriously right. where I'm like, listen, you know, I am having fun. What do your kids think? You have a 13 year old. Oh, they are right? blown away. Right. They're like, mom has this podcast and they're kind of like, they kind of get what I do. Right. And they're just like, my mom helps write, you know, laws. Like my mom works with, you know, people in Sacramento. And like they know they're proud, even right. though if they can't quite understand right. like, what it's about. That's funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 then of course, like the 13-year-old will never really tell you what he thinks. Right. Because he's too cool for that, right? So who knows? Yeah. Well, great. He wants to be on TikTok though. And I'm like, that's not going to happen. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> not no, yet. Uh, not for a while. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Social media for kids, different story. But yeah, listen, I'm, I'm like, this information should get out there. I um, feel like it's, it's something that hasn't been done before, but that doesn't mean it shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, much of the third house, much of like the lobbying core is like very analog, right? It's people who started back in the 70s, you know? And like, it's very like whiskey and cigar smoking, you know? And, and old boys club, right? Like, Let's be honest that's, about who was lobbying. That's back so then. funny. Like the new, the new swing space, right? Like all the new members, the new people love it. It's open. Yeah. And then all the, the old timers are like, eh, this is not how business is done. It's too open. Exactly. People can hear Ex- too much stuff. Exactly. Here. And it's like, like, if you want to talk, let's go somewhere else. If your only way of having done yeah. this was calling someone on the phone, like, you know, like that's your extent of right. like, then all of this has got to be the craziest thing you ever saw, right? Like people have got to be like, I, I don't even understand. And I you have to be okay with like doing things that are different and new and being okay with people who are like, you know, I just think you're batshit and I, I would never do that. That's what it is, like the, the speed of information spreads. Because I remember, you know, when my dad was doing this, they, they always you do like gut amends at the last minute yeah. like at the night because yeah. no one was there yep. and you couldn't see anything. Yep. And then the fax machine came and yep. they said, oh, that was like the technology. How about before the 72 hour rule? Right. Where it would literally be before, like, if you weren't there, like, hovering, and, you know, someone could be like, here's the amendment. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And and I love the 72-hour rule, by the way. It makes life so much easier. I know. But, yeah, before the fax machine. Right. Right. And then now, like, with text messaging and social media, like, literally something happens and everybody knows instantly. Right. Like, Right. It's amazing. Well, it's democratizing information. Mm-hmm. And and so there's positive to social media. It doesn't always have to be bad. And I think that's the positive. Like if we can get kids in high school excited about what's happening in Sacramento, like that's awesome. Right. That that is like creating the generation of engaged voters. 
Like that is the problem that we are in is we don't ha- aren't doing that right now. Right. So if it means making a TikTok video, like heck yeah, it's got to be accessible and and understandable and not this again like world that is so like complex and and intimidating that's the big thing is it's intimidating i think like the only thing we have like for kids to understand like how a bill becomes a law is like schoolhouse rock from like what maybe 1960 or so i don't think there's been anything else since then no and and (laughs) for those of us i think it was the 80s and for those of us who grew up with that like we still think about that oh yeah i have the song in my head right Right. yeah so like they were doing it but we need more of it for sure yeah yeah it has to be updated Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, definitely recommend our listeners go check out uh, Christina. She's got some great work thank over you. there. And uh, hopefully we'll catch up with her thank again you. later on. Thanks, thanks Christina. All, All right. right. Thanks.